But the series that we're in is called Out of Bounds. How do we talk about the things uh, that we can't talk about? Or at least in this series, we've been talking about the things that we've been convinced we're not allowed to talk about because we don't necessarily uh, align necessarily with how culture uh, addresses and agrees with certain things. And so uh, I can't really recap the last couple weeks. If, if you know anything about the last couple weeks, it's impossible. And no one wants to sit here that long. All right. So uh, I just want to go ahead and read our theme verse. This is our theme verse as to as we go through this series, and then I'll talk a little bit about uh, what Tracy and I are going to share today. But this is 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is, say the word out loud, what is what? True. What is true and to make us realize what is what? Wrong, Wrong in our lives. That's the purpose of of Scripture, and it's all God breathed. It's all inspired by God. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip. There's a purpose to prepare and equip His people. That's hopefully everybody in the room today. His people to do every good work. The purpose of this is to help us underscore, no matter what we talk about, we have a source of absolute truth. You hear us talk about absolute hope all the time, which we talk about in terms of Jesus as our mission and vision as a church, but it's founded on the fact that we believe in absolute truth, and this actually affects our worldview, our, our, you know, our biblical worldview. We talked about um, how over half the people in the U.S. think they have a biblical worldview, but when you ask them specific questions about it, only 6% actually hold to a biblical worldview. And then I shared this uh, last week, and I want to continue to remind us of this as we go into today. Um, that we really do strive and we want you to have biblical moral convictions. Biblical moral convictions, these are the things that should inform our social and political opinions and, and, and ideologies and entitlements and things that we get into a lot of argument and heated conversation about in terms of our culture. Um, we should have these convictions that we stand firm in, that we stand confident um, in. And we're using Jesus' encounter. So we're, every week we're kind of going over a, an encounter that Jesus had to kind of jumpstart us into sort of these cultural conversations. Uh, and we're going to do that today. Okay, so today's Jesus encounter, as we call it, is taken from Mark, all right? And this is, even though this is Mother's Day, we're going to be telling a story of a Jesus encounter with respect to the father. But I'm going to get to a mom's story a little bit later in today's message. But dads matter too. That's all we're saying. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Dads, dads matter, matter too. too. So we're, honestly, today we're talking mostly to both parents. <laughs> so um, I, hope that, uh, I hope that you all enjoy that. All right, so let's, uh, let's start here in Mark 5. Now, this is right after Jesus had finished feeding the 5,000. This is right after he had healed the man who was um, possessed by many demons. So this is like right smack dab in the middle of those stories. Jesus got into a boat again, into the boat again, and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Okay, sorry. I've already been crying, so y'all are going to have to just uh, bear with me today. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, before Jesus is even able to get to the home... Um, there's another story that falls right dab, right smack dab in the middle of this. And this is the story of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. The basics of this story is that she had been bleeding. She spent all of her money on doctors and treatments, and it only made things worse. Mm. But she heard Jesus was in the area, and she said to herself, if I could only touch his garment, I will be healed. So she did that. She found him. She pressed through the crowd, and she just touched his robe. But Jesus felt the power immediately leave from him. She knew she had been healed. He knew that someone had been healed. So he says, who just touched me? And his disciples are like, Every, everyone people, touched Everybody yeah, touching People are everywhere. Yeah, people are everywhere. And he said, no. Someone touched me. And so she trembling came forward and said, it was me. And she explained why. And he was not angry. He said, 
Go in peace. Yeah. Your faith has healed you. Yeah. And I'm going to pick up here in the story uh, because it says in verse 35, right there in that moment, it says, while he was still speaking to her, to this woman who had been healed, messengers arrived from the house of Jairus and the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, uh, don't be afraid, just have faith. There's a really big theme in both stories about faith. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. I guess that's expected, obviously, if a child has died. Um, but he went inside and he asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping, or she's only asleep. Well, the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. I mean, pay attention to that. It's recorded in Matthew and Luke as well. I love Matthew. Matthew's basically said, Jesus said, get out, right? That's what, that's what Jesus said, get out. And then he took the girl's father and mother and three disciples. He only had the three disciples with him at the time. And they went into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which is, I'm not even sure if I got that not right, but it was an Aramaic phrase. It, was, it, was a, it had a compassionate tone, just hear that. Held her hand, said to Lil Kum, which means little girl, get up. That's what Mark tells us it just means. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up. She immediately stood up and walked around. Well, they were overwhelmed and amazed. Yeah, you would be too, right? <laughs> overwhelmed and amazed. Jesus, however, gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, which I personally think was so that he could get the satisfaction of all the people that he had to make leave anyway right? He's like, don't even tell him she's healed. Just ignore him, you know? Uh, that's my humanity speaking into that. That's not probably what Jesus did. Um, there was other reasons he had to tell them, don't do that. But I love this last part. And then he said, get that girl something to eat. That's what he said, right? That's a good parent move. Get that girl something to eat. She's been dead. No, um, she was just sleeping. Um, I love this story. And one of the reasons this came to me when we were talking about the series and and this day, when we, when we really wanted to talk to parents, and really, again, we're, we're dealing with cultural issues, but right now there's such pressure on parents that are also dealing with cultural issues, not just themselves dealing with it, but dealing it on behalf of their children and, and the next generation. If you're part of the church, you have a heart for the next generation. Um, and uh, I love this story, partly because the father is fighting for his daughter. He's doing everything that he can do right? He's, he's reaching out even beyond. There's a whole group of people at the house, but he's the one who goes to seek help. He comes back, and even though they laugh because they, whether it's disbelief or, again, just probability, um, Jesus gets rid of them. And I'll be honest, sometimes part of, the, part of me about this story just loves the fact that, like, sometimes we got to kick the naysayers out of the room for a little while, all right? When we're in the fight, when we're dealing with something that requires faith, um, sometimes you do not need to be surrounded by people who do not have faith. Can I get an amen at all on that? All right, there we go. Um, sometimes you just have to, you know, and, and that's why this, this kind of direction we're taking today, um, I put a title to it just for you guys. Um, I'm calling it the battle for our children and for the next generation, because even if you're not an active parent right now, even if you're not currently parenting, um, or you have been parenting, this is a, this is, you know, your kids are all grown, um, this is a fight for the next generation as well, especially when it comes to the culture around us. So as we were thinking through this, this day, what we would want to talk about, my heart became very heavy for parents, heavy for our children, heavy for what they are growing up in and what they are experiencing right now in culture. So, for example, just from this pandemic alone, the last two years, we have seen children and teenagers with increased levels of anxiety, depression, and other mental health disorders that are all associated with the closures of the schools and these lockdowns. Um, families, of course, had lost income, loved ones, um, a sense of stability and predictability. This affects our children. And the activities that normally were supposed to help them cope with stressors, things like sports, um, dance and music classes, school, play dates, and all that, those were taken, if not forbidden. Do y'all remember the days yeah. when our playgrounds were taped up and signs 
were, were, were there to say no playing, keep off. Do you remember that? I do. And I was furious. <laughs> All right, furious. Um, these very actions took away the things that our children were going to use to cope with this. So as a result, we have increased suicide attempts, especially among adolescent girls. All right. Now, even before the pandemic, though, so I mean, we're not even just going to level all of this on pandemic. Before that, our kids were dealing with dangers online. They were dealing with bullying, child predators, pornography that easily can find its way into their news feeds or their social media feeds. And this fantasy world that they see by their influencers and things like that, they fuel insecurity, a comparison mentality, and worship of oneself or others. That's a true danger. And that's been here for the last 10 years, yeah. I would say. But now their identity, their very identity is now under attack. For our children who don't know, don't have secure footing as to who they are, why they are here, the hope that they have for their future, that is going to be based on truth, based on what we give them, what we teach and model for them. Yeah, when we were talking about this, that was a big part of this is that, you know, um, and again, understand, we're not talking, we're not, we're not discounting again, we're going to talk about it, that the pressures of culture, the peer pressure with others in school and everything else, but when it comes to, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, these convictions and these things that we're going to stand firm in, um, the next generation gets that from you. Everybody with me? This, this next generation is going to get it from you, from their parents, from their aunts and uncles, from the other adults in their life that they feel safe with. They're going to get that from you. You know, they're, they, they, if you are insecure and you don't know, how are they going to know? How are they going to stand firm in anything when you don't have anything to stand firm in? So this is why we've, we, we wanted to kind of uh, go bridge this framework again. Uh, I've used this framework before. I understand that it's incredibly simple to state and to remember. It's one of the reasons I like it. Um, and yet it's incredibly complex. This does not mean that it's easy. Everybody with me in that? It's not easy. But we're going to give you the sort of the framework in terms of what does this battle look like. And, and, and part of that comes the, to, this, uh, to this first step, which is you need to be informed. Okay? That's the first thing that has to happen. You have to be informed. You have to sort of know what's going on. This is a situation, and I want you to hear this in a loving way, that ignorance can hurt you, and ignorance can hurt your family, can hurt your kids, can hurt your children. And I understand what it is to try to balance the busy life you have with trying to stay up to date in this rapidly changing, so fast culture, staying up to date with all of the things that are influencing their young minds, all right? So I'll just, honestly, right now, here's where I'm at. I've got an 18-year-old getting ready to go to college. I've got a 15-year-old who's 20 feet big. I don't know. He's huge. He's a giant he's monster man. He's about to start driving. Watch out. He's going to start driving at some point, like, you know, and then I've got this 7-year-old that runs the house. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I've got, I've got three of these dynamics. And it is, and it, again, it was, it was, I mean, it was still hard when the, when my two oldest were younger, but now it's span, like the stuff that I need to stay on top of spans quite a distance, especially when it comes to like paying attention to the movies and shows that she wants to watch on Disney or Netflix and trying to pay attention to the, to the information that's being presented to her, uh, to the themes that are there, to the movies that she watches, like Encanto and other things like that. And, and then, you know, the movies that my older two are going to watch, like the, the multiverse movie that just came out, you know, is banned in several countries. Do you even know it was banned in several countries? Do you know why? It was banned in several countries. I got a lot of blank stares. Okay, so. I didn't even know this. You got to be informed, right? You got to be informed. Um, this is a big part of that. Now, I wanted to give you a quick example of this. And this, um, this is a sign that uh, Shin, Pastor Shin, uh, sent me. Today's session around Community Health Day. Sleep better to feel your best. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? 
Yeah. Trans 101. People are who they say they are. Gender diversity. What does it mean on the inside? Debunking transgender myths. And he said that to me, and I said, dude, where are you? Okay, he's not in California, he's not in another country, he's not in another state, he's not in New York or other places like this. No, he's 17 miles away at the Discovery Place where we take our children. That's their sessions for the day. That's their sessions that they feel like the community and especially the children in our community need to have workshops offered for them so they can be told that people are who they say they are. Now, don't get me jacked up because I'm going to talk about this next week. All right, next week is the, is, the, is the week that we're going to address a lot of this. This bothers me. I read to you a couple weeks ago Romans 12 to be transformed um, verse that we've, we've used in our, you know, we just come to this verse a lot in terms. I, I, I love the, ma- the message paraphrase, and I've shared this with you before. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's the paraphrase. Do not become so well-adjusted to culture. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but your faith is, by its nature, counter-cultural. I need one more of those, Don. Your faith, by its core nature, is counter-cultural. Okay, all right, here we go. This is why we have time. We have time to talk this out, you know? You cannot become so well-adjusted. This is that conforming. We were talking about a couple weeks ago that you just slide into things without, without thinking. And that's the problem. You're not informed. You're not thinking about what's coming across. You're not thinking about what your children are being exposed to. You yourself aren't thinking through how, where to find your own convictions about these issues so you can pass them down to your kids and to the next generation. How are they going to do it? How else can they do it? Have you ever Googled TikTok trends just to see what the kids see? as they're just kind of scrolling through, because that's basically their new social media feed. And, you know, parents might still be scrolling through Facebook and just getting through ads, but kids just scroll TikTok. And all you got to do is, is Google every six months or so TikTok trends, you know, current TikTok trends, and you'll see some of the stuff that's coming across their feed consistently. Look up, I mean, I've shared this before, you know, look up lyrics to the top 10 music, see what, see what's, see what they're hearing. You know, look, read movie reviews, find out about things like that. Why are certain things being banned? What's the purpose of that? What's, what are the hidden messages? Sometimes all you got to do is go on media and see what people are proud of, you know? See what they're bragging about in order to get some idea as to what something and what someone is saying about something. We have to continue to be informed. And so what we wanted to do is just encourage you, we've got to stop Take a look around, survey the landscape as parents. And I know it's hard, it, it, it's dirty, it's, it makes us feel very, very uneasy mm. and unsettled because once our eyes are open to the dangers that are out there, we can become pretty frightened. We can become nervous and feeling like we're not up for the task, that we don't know what we're doing. Okay, and I just want to just remind everyone, this is something that Scripture has cautioned us about, that there is an enemy out there, an enemy to our very souls, an enemy to our children, to our church. Okay, so this enemy was described in John 10.10. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Here, Jesus is calling our enemy a thief. He also calls him, later in another verse, a liar. Now, we know who this enemy is, right? Say it. Satan. All right? He is very real. And one of his tactics in the world today is to make people think he isn't. All right? But here's what John said. This is what Jesus said about Satan, our enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So now, 
as we, as we think about that and we think about the culture, we have to kind of recognize as we're surveying the landscape, where are the lies that our children are hearing? Where are those misconceptions? Where are those deceptions coming at them? I want to give you just a couple of examples. So in mainstream education, our kids are, te are being taught that we, you know, that we originated, the whole world came about as a result of a massive explosion and scattered matter everywhere. And somehow, by some inexplicable means, things like organic life began and became more and more complex and sophisticated over millennia. Which, honestly, do y'all remember the, the laws of thermodynamics? The, the law of entropy says that everything is going from a state of order to disorder. Am I correct? There you go, okay. Dan. So, the very laws go. of thermodynamics <laughs> that they're being taught in science violate this whole concept of the Big Bang Theory. But our kids don't know enough yet to say, wait a minute, that is, that doesn't make sense. You're negating your own principles of science. Okay, so these, that's just one example of what's coming against our kids in some of their classrooms. All right, another one is that they're not being taught that they were created by a loving God, which I understand. They don't go to public school for a religious education. I understand that, but they are being told the absolute opposite, that we originated from apes. I mean, how insulting. To us or the apes? Yeah. <laughs> to us or the apes. Well okay. timed, Dan. That was good. Well timed. <laughs> to us or the apes. I think the apes are insulting. I'll be honest. <laughs> okay, and then, all right, and so another one is that culture is trying to tell our children that they are who they say they are, who yeah. they want to be. Yeah. That regardless of how you are born, if you want to be this, you can be that. Now, Matt's going to get into this more, but there are some children now that are so confused that they are identifying as animals and I'm not making this up. This is troubling. Yeah, Donnie sent me a, a, a post this week. It was, it was he Japanese, Don? Uh, young guy, married a hologram, uh, trying to make sure that he can legally, you know, marry this hologram that's considered artificial intelligence. Um, you know, you know how when you read something and you think it's like a satire? You guys know what I'm talking about? And then you start reading it, and it's not. Yeah, you, you start reading, it and it's not. These these are the things that that just short circuit my brain sometimes. Because, but where does it start? It starts with what the children are being taught. It starts with the influences in their life. It starts with how they're doing it. And again, like we said, it's not it's not that it's easy to stay on top of these things, but it's the parents' role. It's your job. All right, it's your job to try your best to stay on top of these things. And yes, it can be overwhelming. I'm going to give you this quick verse, uh, and then we'll go to the second part. But this is from John 5, where Jesus said, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, uh, for God holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. I don't want you to take this out of context, but the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, but we also know that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. All right. So there, are a, there is a truth, a central truth, that, that, that looks like this. Because we are children of God. If your children have made a profession of faith and they're growing up in the church and you're, you're instilling this, uh, the, and we'll talk about the doctrine in a little bit, but you're instilling this into them, then, then we know that, that we're trusting in what the Word of God says, that, that, that they are held securely by Christ. We do not have to be fearful right? However, we also have to be aware of the fact that the world is in control of the evil one. You know, the, the devil came to Jesus and said, I'll give you all of it. I'm going to give all. It's the third temptation of Christ is I'll give you all of it if you'll just kneel to me. Now he can't offer what he doesn't have. Does that make sense? Because for a period of time, for, for the way in which it's viewed, he does have power here. Now it is not ultimate power. It is not the ultimate authority. But we have to remember that just because we don't have to fear for our kids because they maybe are held securely to Christ, we do have to remember that all of these influences can lead them to self-destruction. Everybody with me? 
There, it can lead them to self-destruction. It's why Jesus said, the way is narrow who follow me. And the way that's wide leads to, say the word out loud, destruction. The way that's wide leads to destruction, which goes back to why we can't just fit into culture without even thinking about it. Now, again, you'll, you'll hear me talk a lot about that. In stand- I'm not against enjoying things in life and enjoying things that culture enjoys because I believe God gave us things to enjoy. I'm all about redeeming things, even in culture, for believers. doesn't have to always mean what people say it means. I mean, we've lost everything. We've lost the rainbow. We've lost phrases. We've lost words. I mean, we've lost everything that God gave us to enjoy that are, that belong to him. So I'm all about redeeming those things and not living in fear. But again, I have to live in both those truths that even for my kids, the way to destruction is wide. And I don't want them or even as a model from us to be, to be a model that, it's a, that we're not just thinking about something before we do it, that we're not having some process of being informed and then making decisions from there, which goes into the next uh, part. Let me go to the next part. We don't just have to be informed. We have to be engaged, all right? We have to be engaged. We have to be present. We have to be involved. We have to be engaged from when our kids are small to when our kids are uh, even out of our house, all right? Now, there's levels to this, which I'll talk about in a little bit uh, in terms of what that looks like, but we have to remain engaged. We have to remain involved. The problem with what started around the Gen Xers and the millennials was this just sort of drop-off parenting culture. You guys with me? Drop-off parenting. What that means is that your kids want a play date, you go drop them off, right? They want to play sports, you go drop them off. You know, you view education, they're going to get your education, you go drop them off. You know, you're going you're to be involved in a community event or help their talents grow, you go drop them off at, at a coach or a talent scout or, a, you know, activity, Worse yet is that it bleeds over into the church. You want your kid to have some, some good thoughts and some good, good uh, spiritualness in their life? Well, let's go drop them off at church, right? Let's go, let's go bring them here. And that's, that's just this drop-off parenting. Again, it's been a long cultural trend that, that you have to fight some, okay? Now, I understand most parents, especially young kids, do their, do their homework. You don't just drop your kid off at the, first, at the preschool first day you do it. You know, moms cry, and they go in, and they stare through the window, and you know, those kind of things. I get it. But, but as they get older, you know, you've got to show up to a class every once in a while to be sure what's going on. You've got to pay attention and kind of sneak around a little bit and read, and some, read, of their, the, read some of their text messages. And, and read the emails. Read the emails that come. coming across through the classes and everything. I don't know about y'all, but I, I'm bad. Sometimes I just delete, delete. I can't. It's overload. Information. But then we have to actually we have to know. know. We have to know what they're being taught in those those sex ed classes. Yeah. Your kids, I just want you to hear this out loud. Your kids do not have privacy. Right? Your kids do not have privacy. Not when it comes to what's, what's influencing them. If you're not on top of it. Now, I don't, you know, my kids are getting older. I just say, bring me your phone. They know what I'm going to do. You know? And they begrudgingly, uh, you know, bring it to me. They know what I'm going to do. I'm scanning messages. I'm scanning social media. I'm scanning things. No. What do they do? They try to get smarter and hide it. I get it. I was a kid. I know what they're doing, right? So I'm just saying, like, it's not, it, this is not foolproof, but you have to be engaged. I want my kids at some point to realize that even if I didn't do it perfectly, their dad cared enough to be engaged. Their mom cared enough to be engaged, to, to engage in what that matters to them. Perfection's not the goal. Engagement, care, love is the goal. We have a great verse we want to read for you there. Okay, before I get to that verse, oh, I, yeah. just wanna, I just want to say one more thing in terms of this drop-off culture that okay. you alluded to. Um, and please hear our heart. Everything that we say up here is from a place of love. Um, but I'm going to step on some toes. If you believe that coming to church once in a while is sufficient to prepare them for that world, you're greatly mistaken. If you believe that, well, we could never miss our sports practice or your ball game, but Sundays are optional, you are coming from the wrong angle. You are being deceived. We urge you to take these days, these Sundays, 
very seriously. There's only 52 in a year. But it seems like this drop-off culture, this, you know, um, putting it out there or, you know, letting others do the work, it's not working. Look at where we are. Look at the state of our children in America and around the world. Parents have been lax in this. And I know some of you are here every Sunday, and I commend you. But I know that others, it's a battle. I just urge you to consider that and to pray about what are you doing? Where is your mind in that? And where is where's the commitment to making sure that what they are getting every week in there is being reinforced at home? We're here to partner with you, but we can't do it if you're not here. So um, again, we love you. And we say this with as much love and encouragement as we can. You said that so much better than I would have said it. I'm <laughs> proud of you, babe. You said that so much more lovingly and nicely. Good. I was hoping Good job, you would be babe. loving. I'm telling right. you. Truth in love. <laughs> okay. Um, so this next, um, this next passage, okay, this is where I wanted to give you the passage where we're, we're told to do this in Deuter Deuteronomy, okay? Deuteronomy 6.4 is a prayer and some of the last words of Moses to the nation of Israel. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them around your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And you know what? I know this sounds like, whoa, that's a lot. What is, how, how do we do that today? What does that mean? Well, we kind of condense it to be like all the time and everywhere. There you go. Easy, right? That's what it says. It's all the time, everywhere. Okay, so, but practically speaking, right. um, when you're at home, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to, to just have those conversations and, and guide them back to truth or reinforce the truth that you know that they have heard here or, or to dispel the lies. Um, on the road, let me tell you, how many of you agree that these times when you're in the car with your kids, you get the best conversations? You get great questions and random stuff, and you're just, sometimes you're, you're driving, you're like, oh, dude, I don't, I'm not ready for this. Uh, okay, um, all right, well, okay, so then, da, 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 da. But they're great. This is prime time. You've got their undivided attention. They're locked in their seat. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> you know? So lay it out. Give them the truth. Take and, the long way. Yeah. Take the long way there. Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, look at that. We missed our turn. Okay, I guess we're just going to have to keep driving. <laughs> you know? And then in the mornings, in the evenings... Yeah. Everything. And e evenings are getting tough, though. Yeah, e evenings are us. getting hard for us. We have to admit, they are. The older kids, when they start working, like, you know, some of you guys are there, right? The kids start working, they get jobs. It's, it's tough. Um, we, we don't get our dinners the way we used to get. We used to have family dinners, like, almost every night, where we would all sit around the table, and it would be so much fun. And, and it's hard now, because both of our teenagers work. And they come in at 10 o'clock at night, and they and we're, like, tired. We're just waiting Exhausted. on them. We're waiting on them to come home so we can go to bed. Go to bed. And then they come in, like, amped up with all these great <laughs> stories. And then we're just like, well, how was work? Everything okay? We're going to bed. Oh, no, it wasn't? Okay, what's going on? And then we have another hour of conversation just with them. Mm -hmm. But it's wonderful. We love it. And that's our time to connect with them because we're not getting family dinner time as much as we used to. Uh, let's show the picture. The um, I think this is it. Let's show the picture at the house. This is in our home. This goes back to the whole write it on your doorpost in the house, and we, we just thought about ways in which we wanted to do that. The practical application for us is, you know, we put scripture on our walls. Now, this verse, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree planted by the water. <laughs> This was a passage from the Planted series we did in the gathering just a few years ago. And it, the, the purpose of it is to reinforce that truth that um, when we have trust, when we place our trust explicitly 
in Christ and Christ alone, when we have our confidence in him, we will be firmly planted. And that is what we want for our children. We want them firmly planted so that they will not be swayed by the wind or the, the, the drought, the periods of time where it feels like everything's changing and we don't know what to do. They can be firmly planted by the river and they will produce fruit in season and out. Yeah, and we prayed over this verse because it was yeah. we had several options. And, and again, it's not that we do this perfectly. Just hear it. Just understand that it was important to us. I mean, we, we got the stuff from Home Goods hanging in our house, too. You know, the love is great and home is a journey. You know, we got all that stuff, too. But we really, we really weren't. We've been intentional oh, about Scripture. We had Scripture. the passage on love on the wall. Yeah, we had the and, whole and Scripture you, of love. Let me tell you, when my kids were younger and homeschooling and they were not showing love to each other, guess what I had them write out? <laughs> First it, Corinthians. It's on the wall. Yeah. Love is patient. Patient, love is kind. It does not boast. It does not brag. It isn't self-serving. They they had to write that out. I'm sure they. I'm, really I'm, sure, they, I'm sure they had a loving attitude the whole time they wrote it out too. Like, <laughs> yes, mom. You know. Well, hey, let me let me do this really quickly, and I'm gonna shift gears, and we're running out of time. We're gonna shift gears into the third point. But <clears throat> when it comes to this like engagement part, listen, we understand. We understand that there is a balance as to when kids grow up as they get older. Um, how we balance them making their own decisions. Uh, Pastor Don's taught several messages on, you know, as your kids get older, like kind of how you do this. But let me just give you three, three phases, if you will, that I want you to be paying attention to, all right? These are the phases. These are not age-driven, but you'll see kind of how this rolls. Especially when they're extremely young, we are, we are, we are indoctrinating them. Don't take, uh, that's a bad word used because it is it is bad when, when we only teach people what to think and not how to think. Everybody with me? When you only teach people what to think and not how to think, that's a problem. But when the actual word means just putting doctrine in them, that's what the word means. So when, the kid, when your kids are younger, like there's a reason. We, we want to teach them right from wrong. We want to teach them the truth. We want to put the, doc, the right doctrine in them as a foundation. This is what we do in Kid Street over in, uh, in the other way uh, for all of our kids. We start with the, the family values, the biblical values, and we teach it to the kids. And as they get older, there's more and more conversation about how they make that decision, which is basically intentional education. You want to make sure that as they grow, you are educating them, teaching them to critically think, right? Critically think which is the, how do I make a decision? How do I think? Not just what to think, but how do I think? And even as they get older, especially as they begin to make their faith their own, because, you know, your young kids, they have your faith. Everybody with me? That's just the way it is. Your kids have your faith until they begin to process that on their own. That's fine, because that's part of the process. Let them, let them doubt, let them struggle, let them have questions. Most parents think they're leaving the faith. That's not true. They're just transitioning from your faith to their faith, all right? And that's how to apply what they know. How do they apply spiritually what they know? And listen, I'm, I'm 47 years old. I still have, I'm, thank, I'm thankful, I still have my parents, and they still point me to Jesus. Same here. Same here. We still have our parents, they still point us to Jesus. Why? Because they're still gonna help us spiritually apply what we know to be true. Everybody with me? So just think of these, these, these phases around the idea of engagement, right? We're putting doctrine in, that's important. We also want to intentionally educate, that's important as they get older, and then we're going to be, yeah, hopefully for the rest of their lives, helping them spiritually navigate and how to apply what they have. Let me uh, go to the last one, which is be in charge. I don't know if anyone's told you this, but I'm going to remind you again for every parent in the room, you're in charge, all right? You're in charge. Your children only think they're in charge, right? They only think they're in charge. But who's actually in charge? Right? The parents. I mean, you, you are in charge, all right? Um, Trace had a great story. This is the, the story you wanted to share on Mother's yeah, Day. Yeah, this is the story yeah. to the mothers that I hope will encourage you if it doesn't, <laughs> um, you know, make you think, oh, wow, I had never thought of it this way. Okay, so this is the story of um, Amram and Jochebed. They were an Israelite couple who became pregnant. They were living in a time where Israel was, uh, as a nation, growing, and they were in Egypt. This is after the time of Joseph. They had become so numerous that the new king, or the pharaoh at that time, became nervous and feared an uprising because they had outpaced the growth of the Egyptians. He made them slaves as a result and gave them bitter work and made it 
hopeless for them in order to slow their population, but instead it only increased their population because he was coming against God and God's people. Um, so Pharaoh uh, started telling the midwives, when you go to deliver the babies of these Israelite women, if it's a boy, kill it. Point blank, mercilessly, just end it if it's a boy. But because these midwives feared God, they refused to do it. And they said, oh, we, we're too late getting to them. These women are so vigorous. They're delivering so quickly, we yeah. can't do it. It was because they feared God. Yeah. And you know what? God rewarded those Egyptian midwives. He blessed them with families of their own. Yeah. So um, Jochebed, who had a boy at this time, Jochebed had a boy that she knew was different. Um, now, as a result of the midwives disobeying him, uh, the Pharaoh then said, okay, anyone and everyone in the kingdom, if you see an Egyptian woman having a boy, you are to kill it. He's now enlisted the help of everyone. Jochebed has a boy and refused to obey those in authority over her. She refused to give her son over. She hid him for three months. This took enormous courage because the punishment for defying the king at that time would have been severe, I can only imagine. Yeah. But after three months, it became probably impossible to keep up with the charade. You know babies are not quiet. <laughs> Can you imagine the fear that gripped her as she clutched to her months-old baby, fearful that any Egyptian that found her with a male child could legitimately take it from her arms and throw it to the crocodiles? See, we don't hear that stuff in our Sunday school stories. It's a little bit cleaner, but that's, that was the reality of it. Throw them into the river. So she instead made a basket. She drifted him and floated him into the reeds of the Nile, protecting him as best she could. But it was right where the princess and her servants would bathe and walk for the day. When the princess spotted him, she had her attendant go get it. And she said, oh, this must be one of the Israelite children. She took pity on him. He was crying and hungry. So Moses is, again, this is the story of Moses, as you probably know by now. His sister was there watching the whole thing, and she runs up and says, would you like me to go find a nurse for this baby? And the princess was like, yes, please do. <laughs> well, this brilliant girl goes and gets Jochebed, the mom, brings her up in this brilliant ruse, and the princess says, would you feed him? for me and nurse him until he can be weaned, I will pay you. And she's like, absolutely, of course. So look how God worked in that circumstance. Not only was Jochebed defying the authorities, but God blessed her and protected him as a result. So later, two years later, she did have to return him to the princess, and he grew up in the royal family. He was given a good life, but she knew her child was alive, right? She saw the danger for him, and she took decisive action on his behalf. She was in charge. <laughs> Mothers, what can we learn from her? Are we in charge, or is it the world out there telling us how to parent, telling us what we should and should not do? I think we need wisdom in that. I think we need discernment to know when we have got to do what I would characterize as a holy defiance. So let's move on to here. First Peter. First Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Why did he describe Satan that way? You've seen the nature videos, right? You've seen the, 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 the herd of animals uh, just gently eating and drinking, and then you see a lion stalking them, and he inches forward. He hides in the brush. He picks out his prey. He picks out one, and then he 
skulks forward until he's close enough to strike. And when he does, he is fully committed and he is merciless. When I challenge us to look at the the landscape, I want us to start looking for the enemy because he is out there. We cannot ignore that there is an enemy out for our children, out for us, Mm -hmm. out for the church. But I really have been convinced and concerned that he's after our children. He's after this generation. The only hope of those young animals, and usually it's the young that are targeted, right? They're weaker, slower, more vulnerable. My, what we see in the videos in nature is that the mothers, the adults, have to defend their young. Sometimes they will take on the lion themselves. But those children stand no chance without that parent, without their protection, without their standing in the gap. So as parents, we have to do our job. We have to be aware and alert. We have to be looking at the landscape saying, oh, wait, I see it. There he is. And then we have to be prepared to take action, even if it defies culture and maybe even our authorities. And this is how Paul said it to the Ephesian church. This is where we want to end and kind of give you guys a challenge for the day. Um, Paul challenges the church. Um, We've used different visuals and stuff, but this is Paul sharing like, you know, here's the reality of, of where we live. This is back to the church in the first, first century, we are still there, all right? And uh, as a charge to us as parents and as a charge to us for the next generation, going back to what we talked about before, we have got to figure out these convictions that we stand firm in, all right? We've got to be able to figure that out. But we're going to split this up here. I'm going to read the first part of Ephesians 6, um, and you'll see the scripture here. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, right? There's a purpose to this, and it's to take a stand and to stand firm. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against rulers or authorities or, sorry, it's not against the rulers of flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world. All right, it's the the unseen that we talk about and against the spiritual forces of evil in the the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, what he's equipped us with. Remember early on we said all scripture given to prepare and equip us to do the work. He says one day when the evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, what's the two words? Read it out loud. To stand. He goes on to say, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is, y'all, it's this. This is our weapon, our sword. The word of God. And pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Y'all, I, I, we're going to have to demonstrate this for our children. Yeah. We want to teach them to stand firm. We're not telling them to charge the hill. We're not telling them to move ahead of Christ, but we're telling them, this is how you stand your ground, and this is what they have to do, and we're going to model that for them. They have to see us as we wrestle through our own um, through our own struggles. Let them in. Let them see you. Let them see you praying and reading God's word. Let them see you casting your cares on him, walking your own journey out in faith. Bring them into that to see it. And you know what? I, I got emotional this morning in the songs because I started looking around and I know some of your stories and I know your struggles and I know many of you are walking this out right in front of your children. And I know it's hard. 
But that's what he's called us to do, and you're doing great. I want to encourage you when you are honest with your children that your reliance is on Christ and that you trust God no matter what and that you know he's wise and, and his promises for us, that, you have a, that he has a purpose for us and a purpose for whatever we're going through. You're building their faith. You're nurturing it, and that's how you do it. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, even going back to what we said about our faith is their faith for a period of time. Guys, our convictions, which we hope and pray are biblical, moral convictions, are going to be their convictions that they stand in for a period of time. And then as you educate and help them navigate, it's going to be their convictions that they, that they adopt as well. So it goes back to that, that thing, like, this is, this is our role. This is our role for the church in terms of next generation, but even the parents in the room, this is your job. All right? We, we talk about our, um, our mission statement. We, we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. And I want parents to know that it just starts at home. I mean, that's just, there's no greater task, there's no greater job for a parent than to start at home. And as I get ready to pray for us and, and kind of dismiss us, I want to give you the encouragement. Uh, as Tracy and I were thinking through uh, this, and, and of course, we knew that it would be challenging, and we know that it is challenging. Like, there's nothing about parenting in this culture that's easy today, all right? Especially when you want to be countercultural, especially when you want to kind of address these things from a biblical perspective. Um, but we need to continue to have hope and, and again, go to the, His Word to help us know where that hope is. And here's the verse. Dear children, you guys are, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Right? If every parent could help their children, even when they're, dis even when they're struggling, even when they're, 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 they're having a hard time, even you as a parent are struggling and you're working through something, to be able to look at them and say, look, you belong to God. That's who we know who we are. We belong to him. And the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you again for today. I'm so thankful for the moms in the room and online and those that are just spiritually pouring into the next generation. God, so thankful for the charge that you've given us. And today, God, as we just, we cannot deny the pressures and the, the cultural advances of the enemy towards us and especially towards our kids, help everybody in the room, God, parents and uncles and brothers and sisters and the, anyone here who has influence on the next generation, help us continue to rely on you to be informed, to be engaged, and to be in charge as long as we have been given stewardship of these precious lives. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.